0: My name is Jacob Stoops.
1: And I'm Jeff Luella.
0: And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast.
1: This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry.
0: We chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this episode, we chat with Bartaz Goralovich, CEO of Lee and co-founder of Elephate. We discuss how he went from going to college to get his master's in psychology to helping his wife rank her photography website to SEO. We also discuss his brief career as an affiliate marketer with some black hat tendencies to transitioning to a true white hat practitioner, founding the first white hat SEO agency in Poland, the difficulty of getting into the English SEO market, founding his companies, specializing in technical SEO and JavaScript SEO. In the news, we talk about the impact of coronavirus on the SEO conference circuit, Google's announcement that they'll be moving to a mobile-first index for the entire web by September 2020, and another Google update that tightens the restrictions on the usage of FAQ schema. Finally, we have a deep dive into the topic of website migrations. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Bartaz's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Jacob Stoops, and we are back with episode 44 of the Page Two podcast. Uh, and it is a great, uh, great day today because we've got a great guest. But before we mention that guest, I'm going to mention uh, that we are joined by my co-host, Mr. Jeff Luella. How's it going, Jeff? Hello. It's going great. How are you? I'm good. Good as yeah. good as always. Good as awesome. always. Uh, and. I don't have any witty, witty banter. I usually just come yeah. up with a witty banter on the spot and I really have nothing today, which means it's a good, good day for yeah. me. <laughs> and our guests so don't I, have to listen to us talk about the weather or something <laughs> like that. I was about to give a weather forecast. Don't, don't but, give it. Okay. Yeah. Je- Jeff lives in a wind tunnel. That's it. End of yes. update. Yeah. And I think I said, a. a a couple of episodes ago that like when you get down to the weather that's literally the lowest form of conversation and I'm so bad at small talk that when I get to the weather like after that I've got nothing and then the next episode I led off by talking about the weather and just had to do like a facepalm for myself and now we're talking about the weather more so we've reached the lowest form of conversation kind of a joke and now (laughs) Uh, in light of that, we're going to move on and we're going to start talking SEO and we have a guest and our guest is Mr. Bartas
2: Goralevich. Did I say it right? I feel like I butchered you, that. You're very close. It's Bartosz oh, Goralevich. It's, Goralevich. It's very, very good. Um, Man, if I you guys want <laughs> you you did very well. You did very well. I had uh, my 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 favorite is Borat. Uh, someone introduced me as Borat, which oh, was a, a meme in our Slack channel for months. So uh, <laughs> so thank you for not doing that. But you did you did very well. And I um, and
0: I'm gonna take take it as you didn't take that as a
2: compliment. Uh, Borat? No, not really. Uh, not not after the reaction to uh, it was in the email thread. Right. And um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it
0: was rough. A couple of weeks at the office. Uh, Funny movie, probably not be fun to call
2: Borat. Not fun to be called Borat, though. <laughs> it was for the first few days. Uh, anyhow, if you guys want to talk about the weather, you should come by to Poland, which is now um, known for like seven months of of shitty weather, rain, and yeah. just darkness outside there is no snow nothing just just like london but yeah just sounds just depressing yeah it's just uh, the weather over the last few years got really really shitty here so uh, this is the, the, the yeah uh, we can it's talk like- about <laughs> it for like an hour now Oh my god!
0: <laughs> it's like oh, oh, oh in ohio it's 30 or 20 degrees one day 50 or 60 the next so it's Fahrenheit. literally like we can't just get centered on uh, a common temperature or type of weather, it literally changes from day to day and yeah. it's, it's pretty obnoxious. Anyways, so um, before we kind of get into the the meat of the podcast, uh, again, I like to mention we're a growing podcast, uh, and we thank our audience uh, for listening, and uh, over the course of time, more and more people listening. We're very, uh, very happy, uh, and I think when we get to the end of this season, we'll talk about kind of what our growth goals for this podcast were, because we're obliterating them, and we thank you for that. But nice. we we are a small a little little engine that could sort of podcast the working man's podcast uh, in SEO. And what I would say is, if you're a first time listener, you may not know um, kind of what the core of the podcast is. So I'm going to explain it to you. So the core of the podcast, and and this podcast started about a year and a half ago, and it was primarily because I wanted to have me, Jake, uh, wanted to have a voice uh, in the industry, but I'm a terrible and slow writer. So I uh, didn't like the idea of blogging because I just didn't feel like I'm not going to be able to keep up with that. But I also um, have a a creative itch. And I I, I said, okay, I want to do something Um, and I thought, okay, podcasting sounds pretty cool. Maybe I'll start my own podcast. But then when I decided, okay, I'm gonna take the leap and I'm gonna start a podcast because podcasting is the new blogging, uh, I said, okay, well, how can I create an SEO podcast that isn't just a repeat of everything else that's out there in the marketplace? And my kind of unique value proposition and angle, because I am really, really incredibly fascinated by it, is understanding how people get into the industry. Um, because we we kind of, for the most part, if you've been in the industry for a while, you don't really mean to get into the industry. You almost sort of fall into it from somewhere else. And I find those origin stories incredibly fascinating. And then not only that, I also find the day-to-day life, uh, what it's like to be an SEO, kind of the trials and tribulations component, uh, I- incredibly interesting as well. And I think our podcast is really about Uh, humanizing what it's like to be an SEO and anybody that's listening to it um, there's I think how SEOs maybe talk to clients or talk to teams that they're working with and then there's how SEOs talk to each other Uh, and this podcast is almost like being a fly on the wall listening to SEOs talk to each other and kind of what what we really say and what we really talk about. So that is the first leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool is SEO news. So we talk uh, over the news of the day, whatever it may be. Uh, a lot of times it's, uh, it's just small updates. Sometimes it's big updates. And a lot of times it's Jeff being level-headed and me just yelling and complaining about things. Uh, and that, that's what that has become. Um, not sure we'll keep it in season three, but for season two, it's been a, it's been a staple. Uh, and then the third leg of the stool. Uh, later on in the episode, we've been going into different uh, t- uh, deep dives on different topics. Uh, and today's deep dive is going to be website migrations uh, and all of the challenges that that entails. So, if you stick around uh, towards the end of the episode, we will be talking about website migrations. Uh, but without further ado, uh, we're gonna we are going to allow me to stop talking and. Bartas, uh, you're on. So, I guess tell us your your story. How did you get into SEO? Who are you as a person? Um, te- okay. What do people need to know about you?
2: I'm um, uh, as a typical SEO guy. I'll gonna start with a question. Why do you call that page two? Ooh, <laughs> that
0: is a good <laughs> question. Honestly, I was I. I when I started the podcast a year and a half ago, and if you, the the listeners can't see, I'm going to describe the, the wall in my office behind me because it says a lot about me. So on the wall, there's a, a little bit of artwork uh, right behind me, and it is Godfather 1, Godfather 2, uh, Goodfellas, and what's the other one? Casino. So the common the common theme from all of those is that they are mob mob movies. So I'm a huge fan of mob movies, uh, and and uh, hugely I'm a, I'm a history buff too. So I actually know a lot more than I should about mob and mafia history, <laughs> which is weird. Um, and when I was first trying to think of a name for the podcast, um, I thought a cool theme might be. Um, Where's the best place to hide a body? The second page of Google search results. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, maybe it would be cool to be called page two, the page two podcast. Uh, and what's funny about it is we created the page two podcast. And then six months later, and I kicked myself because I didn't buy page two podcast.com. And oh, did, I'm yeah. Yeah. Believe me, six months later, a church, a church literally in like Midwest America somewhere decided to also create a podcast called the page two podcast. And I emailed them and said, guys, I have my podcast name six months before you, you got the domain. And they basically said, tough luck. So now there are two page two podcasts. And it's when I thought uh, in season two, should we change the name? I was like, hell no, I'm an SEO. I'm just going to outrank them. So that's kind of where where it came from. Uh, just a creative play on my uh, love of mob movies and tying in SEO somehow.
2: Yeah. Oh, you're actually ranking first for that, so that's that's something. You're not yep. being uh, overranked <laughs> by a by church. Yes. You, you know, our biggest um, competition is, is, is well.
1: our biggest yeah. competition is page two of everyone else's podcast because you can just be like the cooking podcast but you use WordPress press, and yeah. then page
0: two <laughs> ends up being I I didn't a, think about that when I was naming it, sorry. It, it, no, new
1: no, new it's search. it's funny. I didn't think about it until you do a search and you're like, oh, everything's like, we show up, you know, top of all the pages, but then you start getting into it and it's like, what does this podcast have to do with us? Oh no, it's just page two of someone else's podcast. So I, my,
0: my hope is that they eventually just let their domain expire and I can swoop in
2: and just buy it. Um, but that has. We have an option set. You need to set an option for <laughs> I think domain. they got auto. So really once it, on, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, okay. But just tracking, tracking, mention for your podcast must be must be difficult. Um, anyhow, uh, now that I know that, uh, this is starting with uh, with uh, with how I got into that. So I'll lead with the worst uh, part. So I'm um, a master's of psychology. So I'm not really uh, a typical. Uh, IT person who, like, I don't have any technical um, background. Uh, But at the same time, I feel like talking to other SEOs uh, that most of them, don't. Um, and it was a total, I guess, like, again, I, I guess like with, with most people, it was a total coincidence that I got into SEO. Um, so in the very beginning, I was just helping my wife. Uh, she, um, she she was a lingerie photographer for uh, like Maxim and Playboy and, and, and a lot of uh, magazines just like 12 years ago and maybe 10 years ago. And I was helping her out to rank her website. Um, and soon enough, I realized that SEO in Poland is not that complicated. <laughs> and um, it's um, far from the uh, what Google imagined SEO to be. Uh, so we uh, did the right thing in 2010-11. We went into affiliate <laughs> market. <laughs> uh, and we... Uh, we lived with my uh, now ex-business partner, Wojtek from uh, Elephate. We did quite a lot of uh, cool things. We had a lot of websites in the, oh my God, this is being recorded in some spaces. Uh, one of those being casinos, uh, the other one were being finances and, and and like paid in loans and whatnot. And I won't mention the other ones, uh, but we got very successful with some of those queries. <laughs>
0: I mean, uh, we, had, we had Ian Ian Howells on, and he definitely did affiliate sites in those unmentionable areas of the internet. Yeah. So we're not we're we're not immune to talking about. that. Oh,
2: so so we were top one for queries like life We had some of those uh, affiliate pages where you just buy a domain and they build a website for you, which is a shitty website, and all you need to do is just build links. So we had like eight extramers, like eight million links per. Uh, Per five minutes we actually counted that so it was verified links so uh, that was um, like crazy old times I think that 2010 uh, the term white whitehead SEO I, I don't think you, you could even google that at that point um, to, to find the real meaning of that um, but um, with my first kid I figured, you know, it's time to grow up grow up a little bit, Bartosz, not to live with websites that, you know, rank for a month and die and, and a new one, a new one comes in. Yeah. And um, I figured that um, Black Hat is not really it for me. And I was uh, literally the first guy in Poland to ever say that in the SEO space. So we've created this um, brave idea that we're going to be the first white hat SEO agency in Poland back then, um, which led to a lot of um, enemies in this niche in Poland as well. So, uh, after a few years, we basically went out to uh, only do um, English speaking market uh, SEO which turned out to be difficult being a Polish agency. I remember Barry was when I just, uh, I was uh, talking about some updates with him, emailing Barry uh, some of the examples of of network in Poland that died. We actually wrote an article about Polish networks and uh, Barry wrote that Bartosz's network (laughs) dropped. uh, So there was a lot of um, like, I don't blame anyone, uh, but Poland was known for like extreme black hat back then. And in 2013, uh, there was this Expedia drop. This massive drop, Expedia lost most of the traffic. And uh, we worked very close with Christoph Kemper and Link Research Tools that were like on fire in 2013-14 because of all the penguins and and manual penalties. And I've managed to swoop in and, and write a... 110 pages case study of what happened to Expedia, because everyone was like, this is negative SEO, they're being um, somehow uh, attacked. And this article, I, I I, I didn't sleep, I was just writing this straight for like two or three days. This article got so viral that this was our gateway <laughs> out of uh, out of poland in a way which doesn't sound right when i say that anyhow that was our gateway to uh, to actually talking even talking to to the clients from the us and and basically all the English-speaking markets. Uh, it was picked up by the USA Today, by Forbes. It was extremely, extremely viral because it explained that Expedia did a lot, like a lot to uh, to lose their rankings. For example, they had like WordPress team with uh, links in the footer. They did all the creative stuff. Uh, that was, again, very popular in 2012. Uh, now it sounds terrible like how could expedia do that but you know in 2012 2013 i think you remember that this was very close to white hat with like widgets uh you know that was um widely acceptable let's say that um so we spent probably one or two years doing like link audits cleanups recoveries uh for a while and I think around 2014-15, we got hooked on technical SEO. Like, we got really hooked on that. We saw uh, results from that, and it was completely new. So no one actually believed that you can do just technical SEO without links. Uh, But we figured out know, this is a very very small niche but at the same time it's extremely exciting there are so many options the only crawler back then was screaming frog then there was deep crawl uh, and then we used uh, onpage.org in german using google translate to to see uh, which pages uh, are uh, like what what they actually mean and and that was exciting as well. Until 2016, and I'm getting to the end of that, we wrote a, a, a Hulu case study, and we found out that there is some kind of problem in Google with JavaScript. And this turned out to be an, another explosion because in the SEO community because Hulu lost traffic just because they migrated to, I think, Angular? don't remember. One of the JavaScript frameworks. And they've lost all the traffic. And that was so i want to say funny but probably not for them but if you would if you wanted to watch for example casual tv show only available on on hulu in 2016 17 you would find only torrents so you couldn't find uh hulu (laughs) torrents would rank like top one top you know the whole top whole first page of results were were torrents so that was rough like you wanted to watch your show like that wasn't good like Google didn't really understand what happened at that time. And uh, our experiment and research was appreciated, appreciated by Googlers, by John Miller. They started talking about that. And this led to a whole new episode in, uh, in our business as well. So we dove even deeper into JavaScript SEO, into web performance, critical rendering paths and, and, and all that to actually uh, split with Elephate, which was uh, originally my company with Wojtek, Elephate uh, was doing content marketing and technical SEO. And this was very difficult to communicate those two things because one was extremely geeky. The other one was creative. So we've decided, okay, we're going to split that into two different brands and actually Wojtek is sitting, you, you guys listening to, um, to us don't see that, but he's sitting like behind the wall um, mm-hmm. and behind me. So we're still in the same office, but we rebranded to Onely. So there's Onely.com, which is uh, what we do technical SEO and elephate with content marketing. And that's more or less the story. I try to make it uh, quick, um, <laughs> but uh, in general, we're seeing even more JavaScript SEO problems now, but the problem we're having with that, and this is something to, uh, to, to I guess, uh, to talk about as well. The problem we're having is that this topic is very not sexy. Like not too many people care about um you know, geeking out with like JavaScript SEO, with 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 critical rendering path optimization, and so on. Uh, and you don't has, uh, hear too many like topics like that on a on an SEO conference, or those topics rarely trend on Twitter uh, because they are very very geeky. Yeah. So, so one thing that
0: I find really interesting, and I, honestly, I think the the topic of JavaScript SEO for our audience is incredibly relevant. Um, but for maybe other audiences, you're right. It is super, super geeky. Um, but you'll be happy to know that we do internal SEO training for uh, for newer team members or people that are newer to SEO. And probably four to six weeks ago, we did a, a session on JavaScript. And I say that because of a couple of, couple of things. If you look at uh, the site built with uh, and you look at the trends over the course of time for uh, different uh, JavaScript languages like React, Angular, or Vue, and you look at how they have grown in terms of their adoption over the course of like the last four to five years. It's not its not even like they, they've grown 100%. It's like they've grown like 1,000%. Yeah,
2: like a about, hockey stick uh, chart yeah, for it, most of those, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Unreal. And I think the, the other thing and why I say this is really um, interesting is in our presentation, we pulled the table that you had developed as a uh, part of your article around being and JavaScript uh, adoption uh, for Screaming Frog. We pulled your table and we used it in our training. So thank you for that table. Um, I will say I have in working with, yeah, <laughs> working with a, a couple of, um, JavaScript related sites, uh, yeah, Bing even even still like the adoption from a search engine standpoint uh, is is still surprisingly lagging um, behind. Obviously, Google is the um, the leader when it comes to adoption and and acceptance of JavaScript uh, indexing. Uh, and I know because more and more more and more sites are moving to JavaScript, it's an incredibly relevant, but it's it's a little bit of a difficult. Uh, topic because there is the still the opportunity especially if you get a lot of uh, traffic from other search engines to lose a significant amount of visibility so anytime that I have a conversation with a client who has moved or is considering moving to javascript it's always part here's how you do it correctly and here is the risk analysis if you if you really fuck it up Or even if you do it correctly, there might still be some risk as with any, you know, big, big migration. And we can talk about that, that part later, but it, it is incredibly relevant, I would say.
2: Thank you. Thank you. But you know, this is um, the problem, I guess all of the SEOs have, and I guess, I guess this is a podcast for SEO. So, so this is something we all struggle with that um, for us, we quite often preach to the choir with, with a lot of uh, the topics. So we uh, getting our message outside of the SEO community. Uh, and this is something we struggle with on a daily basis is so, so difficult. Like explaining that this is important for to like e-commerce crowd, which is our target group um, is something we struggle with. We went through a lot of different strategies by getting them hooked on like, guys, Walmart is only 60% indexed in Google. This is why, even this is sometimes a little bit too complex of a thought. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah so, um, so I guess uh, I, I, I I love that SEOs are getting hooked on the JavaScript SEO web performance even more. But I think our challenge as SEO community is to somehow bring that message to uh, to non-techies, non-tech yeah. crowd.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm not going to claim to be incredibly, incredibly successful when it comes to translating that message. Um, one thing, especially on the e-commerce side, that is has been really effective for me is, quite honestly, just saying this is the dollars and cents. If you lose forty percent of your traffic because you screw up a a transition to to JavaScript, here's how much money that's going to take out of your pocket. Um, And not all clients have that kind of data. So in some cases, it's purely uh, theoretical and speculating. Um, But that's been effective for me when, you know, we've had e-commerce sites uh, thinking about uh, moving over to like a single page app or or something, uh, something of that nature because developers are moving that way. And unfortunately, like I said, search engines are just
2: trailing behind. So this is an interesting fo- uh, thought, um, uh, Jacob. So I, I'm trying to make this uh, theory more popular and I'm failing, but I'll try again, obviously, because why not? Uh, I think that once Google gets really good at rendering JavaScript, uh, Bing is going to completely be like out of the game. They couldn't afford it. If you look at the scale of like few percent, maybe some countries, I don't know, let's, let's give Bing 10%. By the way, I, I love Bing, I have nothing against them. But just the problem is that uh, from technical technological standpoint, you, you know, like how do you compete? You're Bing, Google yeah. is spending like trillions of dollars, probably less than that, uh, to, to render all the JavaScript online, which we saw at scale. It's, it's just we, we played with maybe uh, a quarter of, 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 of percentage of that, and this is expensive as hell. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is. I think we're gonna see some fluctuations in the in the marketplace of search engines with that. Like Hulu is a good example. They they completely dropped out of uh, Bing. Google finally like co- caught up to to index them. But for example, Angular, uh, Un- Angular's website in JavaScript, it was never in Bing, but it was ranking very well in Google. So we're we're gonna see more and more of those websites completely excluded from uh, from non. Google search engines.
0: Do you, do you think that Google is, I mean, obviously they're, they're almost a monopoly, but if things were equal, do you think that Google is ahead right now because they're able to spend more money or because they're further ahead technologically speaking?
2: So this is complex because we've talked to both Bing about JavaScript indexing and Google and uh, from my standpoint, uh, looking at, for example, Bing switching their uh, this, the browser they use from Internet Explorer to Chrome, I feel like Bing at some point needs to admit that they are just trying to catch up in in. More and more desperate terms. I feel like Google really. Uh, first of all, I, I can only imagine it's money. But talking quite a bit to Martin Schplet, it's just uh, me and Tomek Ruski. We uh, we we try to engage with their uh, findings quite a bit. They really try to uh, like Google really tries to 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 index all the JavaScript on scale within literally few months and they have their up and downs recently we see more downs (laughs) but uh, you know i i feel like this is a little bit of of both first it's technology obviously google has more engineers and and more resources i'm imagining i don't know so just to answer that i feel like i'm gonna go with money what do you win (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like was it a quiz <laughs> um yes I must I'm assuming that Google is gonna win that because of you know all the all the all the cash they're gonna right. pump into the the rendering
1: yeah, I think last week when we were talking to Alita uh we were like talking about YouTube and it's like one of those things where it just takes so much money to make something like a YouTube that who can who can compete and, and it's like it, I'm sure someone may come around sometime but uh I feel like Google just has you know, having all this money, being such a big rich company, really focusing on search is like their life. They know they need to get better at the JavaScript side of things. Um, Google does a really great. They have a really great ability of like. There's some really bad developers out there, <laughs> and they they've spent their life trying to decipher bad code for for so long. So, uh, JavaScript I think is just one of those because there's so many. Like when you have to download four megabytes worth of JavaScript to have your page render, um, like I, I, and Google needs to crawl millions of these pages. I can see them having, you know, why it's delayed, why it takes longer. I mean, besides just rendering it in general, you're having so much more of these files you have to download. Um, just when I noticed it on some of my clients, like I, I literally just did a performance report and um, every page had at least eight megabytes of JavaScript, CSS, and images that are like three things that are on the site. So we wanted to make sure that we um, uh, cleaned all that up and move forward with it. But I can just imagine Google right now, like just all the junk that's out there, them trying to digest it and actually rank it. It's, it's insane.
2: So. Just, just to just to finish this thought because um, Jacob is, is winking at me that we need to move forward um, and and there is a Godfather poster behind him so that's scary <laughs> as fuck. But uh, just to just to finish this thought, I still. Um, sometimes we get really into the uh, the details of things but looking at google in general at uh, how fast they're moving with implementing let's say that the rendering javascript is a product so how fast they they as a large organization they can implement new things they address new problem and working with a lot of enterprise clients we cannot really get close to that pace with like things that are, I'm guessing, thousand times smaller. Yeah. So um, we need to really give both Bank and Google benefit of a doubt that they live in an extremely dynamic scenario because JavaScript exploded like five years ago, right. four years ago, more or less, and they couldn't really see that coming on such scale, or maybe they could. Don't know. Yeah, but sorry, Jacob, no. we're ready for the next topic. <laughs>
0: One last thought. Uh, anytime I think of Google these days, uh, especially when we talk about the scale or how badly they're beating other search engines or when they're occasionally evil, like the the uh, Star Wars Empire music is is playing, like at least in the background of my mind. Uh, and as a student of history, like part of me wonders between Google and Amazon, who are like the two behemoths in, in every market these days almost, I just wonder at what point governments start declaring them a monopoly and break them up into smaller companies. Like, uh, like what was done to like the, the Fords of the world in the, um, early 1900s. So like right. if this isn't a monopoly, like, I don't know what is. Um, so I don't know. between <laughs> this and
1: Amazon, uh, Microsoft this, think- actually was kind of split apart. I don't think it was government. I think the government was looking to split them apart, but when they went with their hardware models And their gaming model, then they like, I think they made like Windows its own division. So they tried to break it apart themselves. Um, But I could see, and and Google, I think, slowly did that, right? Where they've now there's Alphabet, and then Google's part of Alphabet, and then so is like self driving cars as part of it. So they are, even though we think of it all as Google, they have internally separated so that they can kind of say, like, hey, we're not a monopoly because we have these. We're not a monopoly, uh,
0: yeah. wink, wink, right?
1: <laughs> but okay.
2: yeah, I, I feel like this is very rough. If you have like a job listing website right now, or a, a flight f- website, or whatever, like Google is gonna kill you within the next few years, whether you like it or not. So this is this is rough for a lot of businesses.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's like a double-edged uh, double-edged sword. And and to to use another Godfather reference, uh, in the book. <laughs> Godfather. They describe the character of Al Neri, who before he became a hitman, uh, and this is probably TMI, was a police officer, and he described being a police officer uh, and the general public being both your ward as well as your prey. You protect them, but you also. Um, you know, looking at them as potential criminals. And so I think of Google in sometimes the same way where I thank them for enabling people like me to have a job. Uh, but at the same time, I see them slowly but surely getting a little bit more evil and taking a little bit more of my, my space in the space of other people uh, who depend on big sites like that to themselves have a job, uh, okay. taking a little bit of that away day by day. So it's a little disheartening. Anyways, let's move on to the news. Jeff, what is in the news? Oh, Google, they're in the news again. Uh, really? <laughs> no. Uh, <Are> they? no. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about coronavirus. All right.
2: <laughs> oh.
1: Let's. You not, know, this okay. is
2: uh, yeah. yeah. With conferences, with SEO conferences, yeah. coronavirus is really, really. Uh, and that was actually going to be one of my topics.
1: Complicated.
2: Yeah. I just had a conversation about that with uh, with the uh, with the SEO Oktoberfest, like Facebook group. There's like like most of those people are speakers, because I struggle with okay, uh, should I even try to book those conferences this year because. Uh, Like next week I speak in Slovenia. There's like, I think 1,000 people supposed to be. I'm not sure if they're going to show up in one room. Like I'm probably, my my geography may be wrong, like 100 kilometers from Northern Italy. Uh, So uh, with the biggest outbreak in Europe. Uh, So looking at all that, I know a lot of conference organizers are struggling quite a bit right now. So
1: yeah.
2: I think like a lot of people in the SEO space if you organize a conference now everyone cancels I think this can kill even a large thriving company because then if you if you lose like 2000 mm-hmm. people with 1000 euros per ticket this is not easy but from from Thank me you. it's just like I'm okay flying I'm I don't think I'm in the the biggest risk zone of 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 just dying from the from it but at the same time we're gonna be talking to empty rooms so this is a very business uh, problem i also don't want my team to fly somewhere because i don't want to put them at risk so there are so many different problems but the biggest business problem for me is i know for a fact that a lot of enterprises if not most they uh, have those memos of like no flights uh, unless like it's super urgent and work from home so Mm -hmm. even if you're going to go to a conference now you won't be having any enterprise people in the room because they are banned from conference and flying. Right. So I think it's gonna. And also, we lost two big contracts uh, with travel companies because they, like, we signed the contract, sent it to them. They paused it last minute, first time in our history because they said nothing's happening within our business because it's travel, it's high season, but it, we're not seeing anything. So we're gonna pause everything until it settles down so,
1: settles down. so yeah. i think
2: it's slowly creeping onto the seo niche as well yeah i, mean, and, yeah, I think it's creeping every, everywhere we um
0: on our side i've had two instances recently with clients that i work on where there's been a direct impact um trickling trickling down one is heavily involved in a very large fitness uh convention and in, in, i don't really i think it's would be classified as a convention where Mm-hmm. They are not allowing, and it's a massive convention, and they are not allowing um, spectators to come in and watch the athletes compete. So the athletes are oh, still wow. there, but they're just competing now in empty rooms. And it's oh, like that's a big, terrible. Right, right. Yeah. And this is like a, a massive, almost a spectacle. And I, I don't want to say which, which one it is, but I mean there are only a few really well-known fitness uh, conventions in the world, and this is one of them. And then the other one was a client- uh, came to us the other day and said, "Hey, uh, we're making some changes to our homepage, and unfortunately, we're going to replace your, you know, your your SEO copy with coronavirus messaging. And what am I supposed to say to that? Like, am I supposed to say no? Don't do that? I was like, well, you got to do what you got to do. Um, risks be be damned because this is a you know impacting people's lives. So like, said, do what you got to do. <laughs> do what but, you got to do."
2: There, you behave very, very um professionally in that department. We are supposed to be at an expo somewhere in the world, with like five uh, to seven thousand people in the room, and we told them, guys, it's 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 in May. We don't really want to do that anymore because of the virus outbreak, and we got this lawyer kind of email that we need to pay hundred percent if we cancel, and the event is happening I and mean, like in May, how how do you want to do that uh, so a lot of businesses are trying to uh, you know tra- threat like threaten you into into coming to that conference which is i think the least uh, ethical thing to do so Agreed. we're going to be seeing some of that as well like they're desperate yeah. i guess
1: no they they have to be desperate because as you were saying like 2000 people at a $1000 a ticket that's you know, there are a lot of conferences that i think just are barely breaking even, or maybe, you know, not making a ton of money. Um, I know um, in Raleigh, in the USA, um, uh, JR Oaks and, and the Raleigh group were putting on a findability conference. And I, I'm not sure what the decision was yet for that, but um, it's a brand new conference, right. Put on by some really smart SEOs, That's um, but it's as your first time, right. It's just like a really bad um, situation I mean, there. Up. Uh, our, me and Jacob's company, um, we, we do a ton of analytics work. So we are one of the, like the premier sponsors of the Adobe Summit. And um, now Adobe Summit is 100% going to be online, <laughs> um, which actually might be good because it might be my first time I get to watch some, some Adobe Summit stuff um, because I usually don't go to that. But um, it is something that I think you're going to see a lot of conferences now be online and streamed. And, and I know there's a couple... Um, SEO or or even like marketing conferences that that are only online. And I see that as like kind of a potential market these days of just having kind of like an online conference. You know the problem? No one's going to pay that kind of money for for an online conference.
2: Because there are a lot of things that you get from the – offline conference, like networking, contacts, like everything. So like SMX uh, Advanced, SMX West, uh, West, SMX, uh, all the SMXs in in these days, they're quite large. Um, SMX Munich happening next week with uh, almost 2,000 people. Uh, I'm guessing they, uh, like, you know, for them, that's also going to be rough to to have to cancel, postpone, or move things around, uh, and so on. So I feel like this is going to be the first thing, but also we, we're, I think if you work with like travel clients and whatever, it's going to be slowly uh, affecting the business here as well.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I guess another news besides Corona, uh, that Google is actually moving. So we, I actually thought they all were already hundred percent mobile first indexed, but that maybe that's cause that's all my clients are mobile first indexed. but they're saying by Uh, September in 2020 that 100% of the internet will be mobile-first indexing, Um, which I think is no shocker. They were moving that way. It's just one of those where it's kind of like a a warning to everybody if you're not mobile-compliant. But this is uh,
2: uh, no shocker, but at the same time, look how slow uh, the SEO community is catching up with that. If you want to crawl a website, mobile crawler, not like there are a lot of big big brand crawlers that don't really support that yet, and if you have a mobile first uh, website and you use a crawler, uh, I won't name any because I I, I like them. Uh, but if you're using an X crawler that's just doing desktop, or doing desktop with JavaScript, that's super, that's amazing. But then uh, the the mobile graph, and we played with that because I think that right. Uh, is, I know that Right is doing that. We crawled that with Right. We we compared mobile versus desktop. Those are two completely different graphs, different links, like different websites. And uh, to this day, I think that Right implemented that few months back. Uh, but to this day, it's very difficult to crawl your website uh, with a cloud. I'm not, I, I I know that like Screaming Frog is supporting that for for a while, but I'm talking about those big uh, cloud ones. So we are uh, often analyzing a different website that Google is. So yeah, uh, these are like very basics that uh, we need to look
1: no, at. No, agreed. And and I wish that um, I can easily compare the two crawls. Like actually just say crawl the site, it'll crawl at mobile first, then crawl it as desktop and then be able to compare if there was any differences because you are right. Like just the way the link structures go on a lot of mobile sites, maybe the mobile version isn't as crawlable. Um, and, and I think I fall to that a lot where I, you know, we'll just set the crawl, let it go. And usually it's desktop, right? So I, I, I need to kind of reset my configurations a lot of times to say like, we're mobile first. We need to crawl this as if we were, you know, a, a Samsung. We've also next.
2: realized that like mid last year, which was l- late anyways, because like I'm I'm guessing right now that uh, like I'm not 100% sure, but like ni- 100% of our clients are mobile first. Uh, we had to one... Yeah. Uh, that were was moved a uh, few months back and so i think now it's 100% and we were still using desktop crawlers as well like because there was no really an option so i feel like once google is now going to say that i feel like this is going to make it a little bit easier for uh, for all the for example software companies in the SEO space okay we only look at the uh, mobile um version because if you want to go with yeah. the desktop one that's fine this is something you can do as a, as an extra step to make sure that you're technically okay but not strictly for for the SEO reasons
0: i mean i i think in fairness to to us uh, as seos like there are a fair amount of probably more often than not a site has made the transition to responsive so you can probably you know crawl it any any way you want and it's mostly the 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 same site except for maybe the visual visual appearance i do find that i am shocked uh, a little bit with the slow adoption on the part of some sites as well as some tools with respect to mobile because I, I think Responsive came out in like 2010 or 11. I think um, it's just, this has been building and coming for some time. So like, if this is a shock to anybody, like, I don't know what rock you've been living yeah. under. <laughs> to be honest,
2: <laughs> That's true. Uh, we, we had like, uh, I have this slide somewhere from from first years of google like that from the, when um i think sergey brin uh, is talking in japan to a journalist saying that uh, they are making sure that uh, google works on um, works on those uh, you know old the mobiles with just black and white screens like nokia or whatever and i think it was yeah. like 1998 or something like that and they were looking into that google was looking into that 20 years ago or like some somewhere in this ball, ballpark i often use that slide just to show how old mobile first is
1: yeah no it, it's interesting too like as an next developer i would always recommend kind of like the whole progressive enhancement so whether it came to JavaScript or whether it came to you know mobile or, or um, anything like I, I always developed a site like just HTML first. And so if you took away my JavaScript and took away my CSS, you could still go read the website. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is actually um, still valid today, where we just don't want to have a ton a ton of code that's put in there and kind of build up from the least common denominator but I think the, you know, WAP devices and old devices aren't the least common WAP anymore.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I was looking for that word. WAP. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I, think, um, yeah.
1: I think we don't have to worry about those as much anymore. Um, even though, you know, we we don't want to be, I, I, we don't want to test our sites on, like, 4G connections or 5G connections and and say, like, hey, this is what everyone sees. At the same time, I think, um Web or those black and white screens are far. Oh yeah, like, that's true, gone But gone now, so
2: it's they—they're definitely way way gone. But yeah. this is like 20 years ago. You know what no, I mean? No, exactly. This is yeah. like, like, if you look at like a time perspective, how long we had to prepare to see that coming. Um, this is this shows that a lot of big brands not being 100% mobile friendly. This is uh, this is rough.
1: Agreed. Um, so I guess the other thing in the news that Google just—well, uh, I think Barry Schwartz put it out there—but um, Google has been tightening up their um, their just schema recommendations on how, like, some of their markup guidelines would be. And the latest one that came out was with FAQ schema. And in in a nutshell, the you know too long didn't read version is that um, you only should have FAQ FAQ schema for one question and one answer on only one page of your website. Um, What that means is like one question per page. Um, If you use that same question on 20 different pages, don't put schema on 19 of those pages. Only put it on the one that you like, I guess the canonical version that you would like. Um, I know a lot of websites have it. And I actually just ran into one where they put down the bottom of their page, like links to their schema or links to their, questions. Um, but they would show like the ten latest questions and those ten questions all had schema on every single page. Um even though it changed when like a new question got added to it, um there was just tons of duplicate schema throughout the whole site. So um today that Google that would be a no no. And though I don't think you'll get a penalty, Google's probably still gonna watch the canonical one.
2: I want to touch on that. We okay. see more uh, schema penalties over the last few years well, than awesome. manual penalties for links, like the ones you remember in good old times. Uh, yeah. So we actually were surprised that actually we saw, I think maybe four or five uh, schema penalties uh, for usually wrong use, not like some kind of um, abuse of that. Uh, but also looking at the search results, people play with those for all kinds of reasons. So I say, I think right. like, you know, there there's this black hat mentality in us somewhere that, you know, <laughs> looking at some of the websites like, like guys, how are you gaining maybe like half percent of clicks with that, uh, with, uh, you know, different stars on, on a listing that has nothing to do with reviews and, and whatnot. Right. So I feel like Google is slowly gonna have to clean this up, but I wouldn't expect the, this to be uh, a significant change in how we do <laughs> SEO. Yeah.
0: Let me let me tell you this this whole FA, FAQ schema for me is a little bit of like an an open open wound, um, and I say that because we we had a client um, where we had been making progress on a particularly um, important important query, and lately because of just internal internal issues with that client, we've been kind of struggling to get over the hump. And then we've watched one of our competitors who was in roughly the same position at the same time we were about a year ago, has just grown and grown and grown and grown. And they do have a really, really great website. And they've grown to the point where they're like their top, their top position. Um, and watching them do that work uh, and just wishing like, gosh, that could have been, that could have been us because we knew that that particular important query was there for the taking uh, is a little bit of salt in my wound. But then when I was doing some competitive research on that particular uh, competitor, they are using FAQ schema. So not only are they are they ranking well and beating the crap out of us? They're using the FAQ schema just to like spike the football right on my, right on my head and taking up uh, a lot of extra real estate in the search result. And it, that it's just salt and salt in my wound. So every time that I, that I see them there, I'm like, you sons of bitches. I want to do that too. <laughs> I want to do that too uh, because of their FAQ schema. But now yeah. Google is tightening this up. I may just go do a little audit of their, their site and see if they're maybe using it inappropriately. Uh, yeah. They yeah. go actually so evil. You're evil. <laughs> Very evil. <laughs> I don't know. If I think that, I'm, a, I'm a sore. <laughs>
1: <loser>. <laughs> and I think the majority of, Schema fraud comes from like reviews and and things like that where um, i I did have clients who wanted me to put schema they wanted star reviews on like their category pages or brand category pages Oh, this you' so a your site that sold Nike, yeah, and they really have so and at, at, at one time i I tried it I was like, hey, let me see like what we can do like the customer actually or client actually requested can we can we get star reviews for these type of pages and i 'm like. Let's find out. And I think this was before, like, there were schema penalties. Um, and we, we might have got some stars, but nothing really major happened. Like, we didn't get tons of click-throughs because of it or anything like that. Um, though I, I would love to see now if they, they still stuck with that and if they got a penalty from it. But um, I'm no longer at that company where, they, where we did that at. Um, but at the same time, I think it's uh, – like, uh, like, I always feel like – I want to do things properly and not necessarily do things spammy. And, and maybe that makes me not the greatest SEO pushing things, but I come back from my development years of like every tag has a meaning. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, I don't need to put 17 H1s inside of a paragraph to be able to try to rank. Cause it's like, like, to me, it doesn't make sense. Right. But and I feel can, at the end of the day, like make it understand easy for Google. And it's like, they it seems. They're way smarter than I am. So any dumb thing I come up with to try to trick them, they're going to figure it out eventually. And um, unless I want to do a churn and burn site. And, and I, I have played with that. Like I I one time I was like, let me put five affiliate sites up and see what like the black hat world does. And we did really great. But then when Panda and Penguin came out um, and actually I probably would have been tempted way more if Penguin and Panda didn't come out because um, some of my sites were like, I was making like a thousand, two thousand $2,000 just as a side automated blog um that was great and then once they got taken down then it was like great now i had content to write about the negative sides and how like you know i I use that actually in a lot of my presentations of like here's how great automation can be just like automating content automating stuff this is what happens (laughs) and it just literally everything went down to zero google de-indexed all my sites and i was like you know i don't feel like rebuilding all this and it was fun while it lasted Uh, But I feel that way with like any type of scheme or any type of things that you're trying to just squeeze that extra out of the, you know, out of the site to get there. I think it eventually is going to backfire and you're going to lose way more than what you started with.
2: sounds like your wikipedia career this is something that we can bridge somehow towards uh, the migration topic which i think is gonna make jacob happy at the same time um because uh, we're very alike jeff with uh, we also get a lot of requests from from clients like they are doing that they're not penalized let's do that as well and we are usually you know saying like a very strong no let's not go this way like you know, after our Black Hat days, I think we've got all that out yes. uh, by like 2013. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but for us, the biggest problem is that uh, that conversation with like client is saying like every month they're stealing our traffic with those spammy things. But at the same time, I feel like we we live in in times when this is not as. Uh, beneficial but you know it's not helping them as much as we as they would expect as you said like those spammy schemas they won't give you you know three percent revenue more they will just you know be there so maybe give you tiny bit more clicks but again i'm not really thinking this is a a major major thing and moving to migration this is very very similar because for us often migrating multi-million websites sometimes we do like a website that's 200 million 400 million pages and people try to cut costs at different points of that process because it's still you know a migration from business kind of uh, business point of view is quite painful for clients because they need to usually do like new CMS. There's always not enough people. The marketing is right. not on top of everything because there are so many loose ends. And then we're like, okay, we need to really prepare for like one month in advance. So before you migrate, let us know. We usually get those emails like we're migrating tomorrow. And yes. uh, this is... That's scary. The, you probably had those. Like I'm guessing we're not the only ones. Uh, you had right. those. Like we decided we're doing that in like three days. Uh, we're like like this is a
0: little <laughs> okay. bit late for How for... are you running your organization is what I usually ask when they do that. But, yeah. but I don't but, I just ask that to myself. I don't really admit have... guys, this yeah. happened to you.
2: This
1: happened uh, to you. We had thing, so
2: many but, of those yeah. that
1: oh, yeah.
0: it's it's to the point where like I feel the need when clients start talking to me about hey I'm thinking of a, of a migration to a different domain or I'm thinking of a replatform or I'm thinking of a redesign and to me all of those three things kind of fit together and I, I view them as one thing And the biggest question that I have is when is it happening? Um, because for me like I feel like especially the bigger the site, the more time you need to plan to prepare um, and especially if there are a significant number of pages and a significant amount of revenue, on the line, like, six to 12 months is my bare minimum in terms of planning, uh, planning, uh, you know, doing things like redirect mapping, working on the architecture, especially if it's changing, um, and and just working with the client to get all of the loose ends tied up. And if it's going to be done more quickly than that, I personally have to step back and question, like, what are they doing as as a business and why? Because that's, it's just—it's a lot of risk uh, to undertake when you try to
2: do it willy willy nilly like that. But the, like we ask that question, like maybe not how do you run your business, but we ask our clients, like why are you telling that oh, yeah. now? And <laughs> the, there is always one uh, reply, and they always assume that this is not that much work. Um, and I think explaining this process, even though if you Google that, there are probably. There, There is a lot of good content from Aleida. We even have a webinar with SM Rush that like three weeks ago with uh, Arsen and Aleda. If you Google that, I think that right now internet is flooded with info, okay, how to do migration, when to prepare for migration. Uh, I just think that they have, first of all, a lot on, on, on their heads. So the clients, they usually struggle with so many things. And then there comes an SEO agency saying that they need a few thousand bucks to, to make it work. And they're like, You know, this is just mapping links. And uh, if we go through that process, I, I know there are a few different ways, but we usually, first of all, obviously, crawl the website and list all of the URLs so we have some kind of data dump of that. But we also scrape Google with. The brand queries because there are a lot of orphan pages, maybe some old um, usually if if the website is older, like if you would do that for, I'm guessing I know uh, Coca-Cola, I'm guessing they have old um, URLs from like three versions of the website ago that are not redirecting anywhere so we scrape Google with like this requires proxy and time and different footprints to make it happen so even everything you need to do before they push the red button in the Uh, development room not sure how it goes Uh, anyhow if the the developers start the migration um, do you need at least at least a week but if the website is large if you have like again 10 million 50 million even the crawler it requires like a week or two sometimes to to go to the page Uh, so so this is all uh, I think this is the biggest problem because pain point again to communicate that process to, to the client And uh, did you guys have, and and this is a quiz from my end, did you guys have clients who migrated, dropped, and reached out to you with like a large website?
1: Yes, definitely. I have uh, one of my clients that I've been with for the last four and a half years started off as, hey, we launched our website six months ago on Hybris. It was an e-commerce site and um, we lost $9 million or $6 million or something like that within a year or within that six months. Um, They brought us in, and it took us six months to start turning things around. So, one, it was like the first couple months was just getting everything they needed to do. They had complete buy-in, which was great. Um, But, you know, then once you get everything implemented, it took, like, you're now eight months, nine months into negative. So, it took Google a little while to actually get through the site because it was so large um finally we're, we're crushing it and, it and it finally moved up there and it was a hundred percent technical like we didn't do anything content wise we did a hundred percent technical and that was kind of funny when my first uh time on this podcast with jake like he gave us like some like what is your kind of advice or tips and some of mine was like you know you can increase traffic and rankings without doing any bit of content that not on every site, but on e-commerce sites, there are so many crawl blockers that, that happen. And we really- That's the definition um,
2: of what we do. We didn't do not yeah. do any content, <laughs> only technical SEO. Exactly, and, uh, we that if, you have, <laughs> if you, yeah, exactly, we'll, we'll leave that to elephant. But if you have a uh, hundred pages, probably we are not the best fit, but if you have a large structure, there's always so right. much traffic to gain from that. Exactly. Uh, but going, coming back to migrations, uh, there are also um, changes in how Google approaches migrations. Something that's not really discussed about that much. But with with Panda and Penguin, uh, if you Google that, this is uh, an embarrassing article. But we had this Orca technique that's gonna kill Penguin from like 2014. Um, my content wasn't called back then. Uh, anyhow, uh, we if you got hit by Penguin, and there was, remember, that period of two years before the next Penguin update once, I don't remember which years that was exactly, but it was two years be- between Penguins, or one half year, like a long time. We came up that if you re- re- redirect or rebrand, cha- basically change domains, uh, that goes away. If you have a very good disavow file, and if you do that correctly, it goes away. So we... Uh, the whole, I think 2014-15, give or take, was our year of doing like tens of those uh, rebrands slash redirects that were somehow around Penguin. (laughs) So uh, this article got a lot of that business. But then I think 2016, we had PicoDK study. If you Google PicoDK study, it's published on write.com. We had a very interesting case study of uh, a coupon website that had 24 different countries back then, even more now but they had 24 different uh, countries 24 different domains and you know as an seo i had a call with them i was like guys you need to merge that into one domain and they said okay which never happened to me before right Uh, so then i was like (laughs) oh fuck, this is happening and we did it within uh, first two weeks we migrated i think 12 or something like that and then whole 24. within a month uh, the traffic for all the whole organization got, I think, 10 or 20 times bigger within just that period of time. That was 2016. Uh, That was amazing. And we had a lot of clients that wanted to do that again with a lot of brands, a lot of domains. We even had one with 120 domains, you know, 120 countries. It was amazing until 2017 when Google at some point said, okay, guys, this is not going to work anymore. So we had one very big client. We're halfway through migration and we're saying, okay, this is not really, this doesn't work as like tens of migrations we did before. And starting in 2017-ish, we couldn't replicate that. So if you have those rebrands or uh, migrations, they usually take a few months now. Back then, and if, if you look at the, the case study, you will see the charts, within a week from from uh, changing the domain, you would have this massive boost of traffic that would somehow settle down, that would drop, but it still would end up being more traffic than you had. So that's also something that has changed, and that's what you're saying with the six months, that the now Google, after migration, uh, even if it's done perfectly fine, they need a little bit of time to catch up to the where the traffic used to be. Sometimes we can do it, you know, one to one within a month. But usually we see a tiny drop and then it recovers. So I think that the timeline of those is very exciting as well, of how Google is changing things. Because yeah, we can't right. like if people reach out to us from PicoDK study like do that for us, and we're like, oh guys, sorry, <laughs> three years ago, uh, we would. Uh, but yeah, like still this is an uh, an exciting process. Yeah. yeah i
0: always um, I always tell clients that one if you think of a a website in terms of a, in terms of its life cycle, a migration uh, a redesign a replatform those don 't come around very often, so they are very significant to to relate it to a human almost like life events uh, yes, yes. where they they have the the potential to really change things and if you do it right like long term they can change things for for the better because you're obviously doing what you're doing for for a reason. Um, But in the short term, what I try to tell them is, hey, we might do everything technically right by the book and you may still experience some degree of volatility uh, for a time period afterwards, after everything launches and gets processed. And the hope is that eventually you get going back to the right direction. But I, I will never forget um, what a, a client once said to me uh, as we were going through a re, uh, a replatform, and I've kind of carried it with me. He said, "Okay, after we launch, flat is the new up." And I've used that several times because for me, the goal of a migration is is getting things over in in such a clean way that there's a limit to volatility afterwards. And, and when I've had clients where things weren't clean and things, things weren't well kept um, and, and they didn't always follow my recommendations, that volatility was more severe or even significant declines uh, in, in business. And, and for me, when things go well these days, it means
2: nothing changes uh, after, after the launch. So have, I have a question to, to because sure. I think we're running out of time for the migration topic. I have a question to, to, to both of you guys uh, because this is something that every single SEO has a different point of view at. We usually try to fix something along with the migration. So it's a a new platform, we work on staging, we try to improve things and then migrate. Do like new information architecture because we're redirecting anyways. But a lot of um, SEOs, and I I think that that point of view is valid as well, uh, think like, okay, let's do migration first and let's tackle those things later because then we can track, if something goes wrong, we can track that a um, uh, a little bit closer which from my point of view is not that needed because if you look at that from technical standpoint, I think you will agree for SEOs, migration is not that complex of a job. If you, if you did it a few times, it's not like a high risk process from my okay. standpoint, uh, but I, I understand bo- both point of views. So which side I, are you I'll, on? I'll tell
0: you my side uh, because a lot of times it's not just a migration. It's paired with something else. It's paired with a replatform, platform yes. paired with a, a redesign and, in a lot of cases, they're changing the architecture of their site, their main navigation, the look and feel. Um, so there are a lot of moving pieces and parts. It's not always as as black and white um, as, I, as I would like. Um, to your point, if there are opportunities, because the hood doesn't come up very often sometimes when to, to, to allow us to get in and work on the car, so to speak. So if there are opportunities, um, speed is almost always a big opportunity. Um, that takes a long time to, to, to fix with many, many clients for whatever reason. Um, I would say like, yeah, we absolutely try to get in there and do some work to make the engine better sometimes because the, you know, the developers or, or the, or the brand just has, you know, many different uh, stakeholders with many different ideas of what needs to get done. Certain things don't get prioritized, not because we don't want them to, but just because they just aren't going to fit into whatever timeline they're being held to. But I generally agree with the philosophy of if you can make improvements while you're under the hood, that's great. When I I talk about parity, I mean parity of content. So as much as possible, make sure that you have uh, similar or the exact same content pre and and post, if not upgraded, or I- at least parity when it comes to your technical framework, uh, and not taking steps back. For example, like if your speed, if your site generally loads in three to four seconds, well, guess what? I would hope that after the migration, it doesn't all the doesn't go to like nine or ten. Or if you've got uh, certain pieces of content that are on your site as it stands today. Well, I'd hope that they would be migrated over. Sometimes that happens too, where really important pages, for whatever reason, don't get migrated over. Um, In, in you know, even with SEOs going, we need this page. We need this page. It just doesn't happen for one reason or another. So it's things like that that worry me in the migration process because, in a lot of times, it's especially the bigger the business, there are just a lot of stakeholders and a lot of voices, and sometimes the SEOs in the room. Um, aren't always the the voice at the front of the line.
1: Yeah, and I just want to get things set that I don't want to change later. I want my URLs set. I want my, you know, kind of like templates to be as good as it can be um, for the launch. But I think even things like HTML, we can tweak during, you know, after the site launches. But things like URLs, like, I don't yes. want to touch again. Yeah. Like, once we touch them once, like, hey, if we can get the same... Like, if we get the same URLs, great, if they're not bad to begin with. But a lot of times, like, especially in e-commerce, we're going, like, so here's 37 parameters. Anyways. Yeah. So, it, so we'll be redirecting. Anyways, so yeah. let's, let's get it right this time. And um, this way we don't have to change it in the future. So if we can get that set up on the new site, it all depends on how much time we have, right? If we have six months, great. There's maybe a lot of things we can do. But if we are in that one month of thing where we need to get some stuff done. Like I I will really focus on URLs first and say, let's get those straight because they're like the foundation. Anything else above that could be a mess. So, um, but awesome. So I kind of just wanted to move into like the final section was a question we ask all our guests. And this question is, if you were getting into SEO today, what would be like one piece of advice you would give to someone that is brand new into the industry? so i would tell him
2: or her because actually our team is mostly uh mostly women so this is i think the, the technical seo is is um that uh, guys are not the best at the technical seo sometimes but anyhow and um, i would advise that person to um to first of all focus on one tiny thing i think like we with 2020 and even with how Google is looking at websites with medic update and all that, you need to specialize and own one part of whatever you're doing. So I would tell um, that person, if you, if you're joining SEO, if you're starting with SEO, for example, technical SEO, pick one thing, for example, understand how rendering works in depth, because this is something that has enormous value. If you're not going to be working in a team, like, yeah, at onely we can actually do that because we have a lot of people specializing in smaller things. If you're not going to do that, then start with understanding visibility trends, why something dropped, why something went up. Like I I think like uh, talking to SEOs, looking at a lot of articles online, people don't understand like search metrics, SEM rush, what happened, when it happened, why it happened. And I think this is the core um, skill. And I think this is so um, difficult to find that if you know that you can easily write an article that's going to drive you business a lot of business because if something happened there are so many things that we just don't have the time to write about but they are super exciting so you will always find a website that lost traffic because of that and they will really appreciate what you did and you can help them out so one of those two things depending on if you're a part of the team or a freelancer but definitely uh, if you can specialize uh, as much as possible, it has downs. As is with us, as for example, communicating what we found out to e-commerce, like this is difficult. But um, in the end, uh, your work, you know, will defend itself. Uh, so specialize and understand how the traffic comes to a website, why visibility changes, and own like search metrics, CTRs, uh, SEMrush doesn't matter you own that one tool to to understand yep. those trends
1: awesome it's great um uh, where can people find you if they wanted to reach out oh uh,
2: just just remember my surname just google guralevich <laughs> just joking <laughs> um go to com or just uh search for bartosh guralevich at twitter or facebook whatever um sweet I'm, my name is pretty unique in the SEO industry, so um, so you'll you'll find me, yeah, or just I'm guessing click on some of the links or mentions in the description of this podcast.
0: I mean, yes. you're you're almost on a on a, a a level where you can because I you're the only Bartas that I'm aware of that you could just go by one name probably.
2: Oh, thank yeah. you. This is not <laughs> uh, the thing in <laughs> Poland, but uh, but thank you. In the US. In, in the US. US, okay.
0: All right. <laughs> Well, yeah. Thank you for um, for coming on. It was a, a great uh, discussion, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, letting our audience hear what we talked about.
2: <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to watch uh, Jeff's um, scary posters. Uh, sorry, um, Jacob's scary posters and Jeff's uh, <laughs> collection of uh, very bizarre things on the wall behind him. Like there is a guitar, drones. There is a TV. It's like yeah. Casey Neistat. Matt, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, it's like a very, very complex. You need to include that screenshot somewhere so people yeah. can enjoy that uh, amazing wall. Some people
1: use a green screen. I just overcomplicate my background. It's, oh, it's
2: you know, shop. it's it's good because I I, I like the, throughout the whole episode I had something to uh, to focus <laughs> on when uh, you know so so I can have a look at what's happening in the background. <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> awesome. Oh, Jeff, man of many hobbies. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Sign off. Thank you so much. Have a good day. And thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Page Two Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel. If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.